I strongly believe that everyone is either a friend or a potential friend. Um, and that's kind of like a, a bold claim, but it's true. I mean, like even someone who one would consider his or her enemy, like that person is a potential friend because the future is indeterminate until you get there. So treat everyone as a potential friend. Welcome to Voices of Santa Clara. Having a good idea doesn't get you done. And if we'd hit those, there would have been an explosion. We would have died, obviously. Scholarship should cultivate the virtues. Worry more about, am I searching for what I should be doing next in the world? That right there was the voice of Jack Hurstam, this year's student body president. I'm Gavin Cosgrave, and welcome to the Voices of Santa Clara podcast, where I interview some of the interesting students, professors, and staff at Santa Clara University. It's graduation season this week. The seniors will walk across the stage, and I just wanted to extend my congratulations to all the seniors who have participated in this podcast, including Hershey Mogalapali, Serene Kazi, Kieran Freeman, Taylor Berry, and the first ever student interviewed, Athena Nguyen, who is actually this year's valedictorian. So congrats to Athena. You're going to do great things in the future, I'm sure. Also, there are a few unreleased podcasts with seniors including Carl Maggio, Marissa Rudolph, Jimmy Flynn, and Rachel Robles and you'll hear those throughout the summer and fall. So congratulations all. On today's conversation I'm talking with Jack Hurstam who is the student body president during this past school year. I actually caught him on his final day of being student body president. On this episode, you'll hear about how Jack got interested in political science, how his transition was to Santa Clara, and how his transition eventually led him to be an orientation leader and how he ended up leading that whole program. We talk about what he's learned from working in the Jesuit community, how he got involved in student government, uh, what he's accomplished this past year as student body president, and what the future holds. As always, thanks so much for listening to the show. I've really enjoyed producing these episodes and having these conversations throughout the school year, and I will definitely continue in the future. And for the summer and fall, I have some pre-recorded episodes that I haven't come out with yet, so don't worry, there will still be new episodes in the upcoming weeks and months. All right, here we go. All right, so I'm excited to be here today with student body president Jack Hurston. For one more day, student body president. One more day. Transitions are tomorrow. Yeah. Tomorrow. So what what's going to happen tomorrow? So the president-elect, who is Samantha Perez, and then mm-hmm. the vice president, Joala Johns, will mm-hmm. transition, uh, basically. So it's the, the big ceremony. We have Father Aang, Jeannie Rosenberger, our advisors, and then all of outgoing ASG and incoming ASG in the Mission Church to celebrate the past year and then look ahead to what's coming in the next year. So that's the, I guess, unofficial transition of power. And then uh, the next Senate meeting, um, mm-hmm. the incoming individuals will put their hands on the ASG bylaws, <laughs> mm-hmm. and the new chief justice will swear them all in. Gotcha. Well, I'm, I'm glad I caught you while you were still president, because then I can, <laughs> can use that introduction. Um, I'd love to start by actually asking about uh, your childhood, and what did you do for fun as a kid? Hmm. So my best memories growing up as a kid for fun uh, would be in the forests of northeastern Arizona. So I grew up in Phoenix, and Phoenix gets way too hot during the summer to like stay around. So um, fortunately, my, my parents and family 
have a place up in this place called Pine Top, Arizona, which is far to the north and the east. But it's in the largest ponderosa pine forest in the United States. So naturally, you know, we're we're going to find ourselves in the forest. And a lot of people go to the beach during their summers. You know, I was I was a forest guy, and I built forts and played airsoft. And my mom never let us do paintball because it would be destroying the forest. But um, like fort building and um, just like running around and like riding bikes and um, like off roading and doing that sort of stuff with. Uh, my twin brother, my little brother, and my cousins who were all up there. Hmm. Um, th- those are some of my best memories from childhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how did you start to get interested in either political science or leadership or anything like that? Yeah. I guess poli sci is something that is kind of in my blood. So my dad is a poli sci major from ASU, and then he was an elected official in the state of Arizona. He was the House Majority Whip for seven of his eight years as um, a representative on the state. Um, like House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. So he, he was always involved in politics. And even after that, he was involved in like lobbying groups on um, politicians' mm-hmm. behalfs, um, all of which were, in my opinion, good lobbying groups. Um, and then when, when I was in high school at Brophy, which is the Jesuit high school in Phoenix, I started to get really involved in like student government there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the big difference between then and now, of course, is in high school, it's more of like an APB or like activities planning. And in college at Santa Clara, particularly, it's been more uh, legislative and like meeting based than it has been like fun planning, mm-hmm. um, if you will. But it's it's been a unique challenge over these past four years. And it's provided probably the largest space for my individual growth mm-hmm. in my time at Santa Clara mm-hmm. outside of the classroom. Mm-hmm. Did you always enjoy the Catholic high school thing or was it just kind of a because my parents told me to type mm-hmm. of thing? You know what I did and and I think it's because I was at Jesuit high schools for this entire time. Um, next door to Brophy there's an all-girls Catholic school that is not Jesuit. It's called St. Francis Xavier uh, and without getting too into it I think that the overall like, sentiments and the happiness level of students at Brophy mm-hmm was much higher than that of the girls who were at Xavier. And a lot of that has to do with the camaraderie and the openness and the like critical consciousness that's generated by a Jesuit education. And I, I'm not someone who will like get into the buzzwords of like what it means to be a person of competence, conscience, and compassion, like the Jesuit ideals. I think those are thrown around just a ridiculous amount. Mm-hmm. But I think like when, when a student goes to a Jesuit school and take seriously like the formation that is being espoused by the individuals mm-hmm. who take seriously the tenets of that education. Mm-hmm. The formation takes a hold of the heart as much as it does the head. And that's, that's what happened to me at, at Santa Clara. And that's what mm-hmm. um, I think I've identified at, you know, uh, at, at multiple stages of my, my life, both at Brophy and, and here at Santa Clara, is mm-hmm. why that Catholic education is, is meaningful, because it is a Jesuit Catholic education. Mm-hmm. Did anything surprise you in your first couple months at Santa Clara was any part of the transition more difficult than another part yeah and I was I was coming to Santa Clara thinking it was going to be big brophy because the architecture is like the same here Um, 12 to 15 students from brophy come to Santa Clara every year so I thought it was going to be a cakewalk Um, and I I remember on the day that my mom left it was a Sunday of welcome weekend I got back up into my room on sixth floor swig and I was like gosh, damn, like, I'm totally by myself now. And, like, n- there, there's, like, no real comparison between a high school and a college. 
except for a few like little things like things that make you feel a certain way but in general classes are different you have to make a whole new group of friends your living situation is different your eating situation is different i mean you're you're so much more personally responsible than you ever were and that was that was really intimidating but i think that those those little things that i was that i was talking about that, that drew parallels between my high school experience and this experience here um, such as like my work with the Jesuit community. So I've been a desk receptionist there for the last four years. Um, some of the classes that I've had, um, and they're, they're themes of um, like justice in like a global perspective and like the ability to like go on retreats, leave retreats and find oneself in positions of leadership. Um, I think that those are the little things that make the, the parallels between high school and college um, felt in a very slight way. But I, I was just surprised at how different the high school and college experience were just in general with those big item things. Mm -hmm. Working as the desk receptionist in the Jesuit residence, did your mm -hmm. perception of Jesuits change at all? Or like, <laughs> did you learn anything through getting to know the Jesuits? Yeah, I think at Brophy, the Jesuits there were um, generally younger, especially the ones that were involved with the um, like day-to-day -day activities of Brophy students. Here it's a community of guys ranging from you know, 30 years old, um, some even younger than that at the minimum, um, to 89. I believe our oldest guy in there is, is 89. Uh, and so it's it's a wider degree of, of experiences because I think that what so part of the beauty of um, like the Jesuit tradition is like an openness to all experiences. So we have um, guys who have a background in biology, guys who have a background in law, um, guys who have never taught in the classroom, but instead do like fundraising for like the Jesuit West province. Um, and so just like the, the experiences and like the life stories of all those guys, um, you know, usually starting off in high school through college and then getting to where they are now. Uh, it was, it was really, really important for me to hear like those stories of formation, especially in my early formative years. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I can pinpoint like multiple, um, just like core beliefs that I hold that have been substantiated through conversations that I've had with mm. the, I believe, 39 Jesuits who are there now. Mm. What's an example of one of those beliefs? Mm -hmm. The value of, of working hard. So there was a Jesuit named Father Jerry McKevitt who passed away, I believe, um, in the fall of 2016, right before my sophomore year. So I'd only known him from my freshman year. Uh, but every time he, he passed by the desk, I was, I was sitting there doing my work, whatever it may be. Um, and he said, always find the consolation over the desolation. Um, and he, he said that a couple times before I asked. I was like, what do you mean, like, Father McKevitt? Like, what, what's, like, the difference there? And he's like, consolation comes from, like, getting the work done, and but not just, like, getting the work done, but knowing that you put, like, everything into it. Because, you know, sometimes, like, that work, even when you do it, your hardest won't turn out. But there's no reason to, like, find desolation there when, like, you should be consoled because you knew you did, like, everything that you had. And, like, if you make a theme of that, like, over the course of your life, like, you'll find nothing but consolation. Something else that, um, that, that I didn't necessarily identify before, but I believe now is um, what a Jesuit named Brother Brockos, who's not a priest, he's just a Jesuit brother, um, told me about. And he's 88, so he's the second oldest guy in the community. Um, and he said over the course of his life, there's, there's nothing that's happened to him that's, that's been bad. And I kind of pushed him. I was like, well, what do you mean? Like, you've, you've had an 88-year, like, 10-year on earth. Like, nothing has been bad. And it's like, oh, like, plenty of things have been, like, bad. Plenty of things have been, like, uncomfortable. Um, I wish that, like, these really, like, not ideal situations hadn't happened to myself or the people around me. But if you, like, trust in who you are, like, if you, like, believe that you know, things, you know, happen for a reason, if you will, mm -hmm. then there's not any sort of situation that will happen to you that you can't recover from that you can take, like, a positive learning experience from. Mm -hmm. 
the situation itself at face value will remain like something that's unpleasant or like not good but you can still take something from it and like make it positive because like there's growth that comes in everything hmm. so i think that that is really important as well and so i'd love to also ask some about your asg experience were there any kind of pivotal moments in your first couple of years that made you know that this is something you wanted to stick with throughout your college career hmm. yeah i mean the item that I was going after during my first year in ASG when I was a, a first year senator, I guess back then we were freshman senators, was working to create um, some sort of education on like sexual assault. Because I, I remember going through orientation and kind of like the welcome experience and I th- there was never anything like presented to my class. Um, and so I, I worked with the Office of Student Life to you know, like pinpoint ideas and like different educational um, like sources for like sexual assault because I talked to a bunch of my friends who are in other places like Stanford, ASU, you know Boston College, all over the place, and every, every one of them had some sort of education on that. And Santa Clara didn't. Um, and it came to my understanding that we were between two things, which was like a play um, that was called "Can't Thread a Moving Needle," and then whatever was to come next. So I worked with like Student Life to identify like what was next, and it ended up being the like student produced version of can't thread a moving needle which was about an hour long film um which has since been replaced and is um like currently being replaced with something else um but i I think that that was really important in my meeting a bunch of like administrators and people within the office of student life um people like Jeannie rosenberger the vice provost um and then like having conversations with with them and kind of like finding my place and my voice uh, as as a leader at, at scu Something else that I think is is really pivotal to my experience and like the way that I see the university is my being an orientation leader because I started when I was a first year, um, I believe like February is when those notifications went out, mm-hmm. and um, I became an orientation leader for Casa Italiana and I lived in Swig so it wasn't the experience I was planning to have but it was so different from what I expected and like the the interactions and the engagements that I had were so like enriching and fulfilling. Um, I went back and I led the team for my second year as the senior orientation leader. So I did everything from like selecting the team to training the team to leading the team in day-to-day um, like goings-on at, at orientation. And that I think was the the second most privileged position I found myself in in Santa Clara aside from being president because you have like such a, a high capacity and a high quotient to um, like significantly impact individuals' perception of the university mm-hmm. because you have like this group of, of first year students and then their families as well usually their their mom their dad both whoever it may be um, and th- there are often um, like misgivings or uh, just like anticipation like general anticipation about coming to Santa Clara and leaving home and things that are familiar and being able to serve, I guess, as a bridge between like those two, like very like different worlds, high school and college is like, is such a privilege in itself because it generates a lot of relationships that are based off trust in a time frame that's very, very quick, you know, the two days of orientation. Um, and some of the best relationships I have were catalyzed from that experience. Hmm. So the kids come in, they're new, they're worried about making friends. So what do you do as orientation leaders to kind of like calm those fears? Mm-hmm. I think a good orientation leader recognizes like those individuals, those, those students, um, or the parents and the family members who seem to have like a little bit more anxiety, who find themselves on like the margins of groups. Um, and I think what's really important is like having like one-on-one conversations with those people because oftentimes like what it takes is like the orientation leader going up and saying like, Hey, like how's the experience going so far? And you get a lot from that. 
And like, I, I recognize that because like I was in that position before I was a student here when I was at orientation. Um, I was outside the Locatelli Center, um, kind of looking for like the next person to talk to. Cause I was like, I wasn't really feeling the dance. I wasn't really feeling sports. Like I was kind of just like, um, dwelling in the realness of, of like the impending university experience mm-hmm. and an orientation leader named Michaela Scanlon who has since graduated came out and we had like an hour and a half long conversation um, and she ended up being like one of my best friends at Santa Clara she's someone who I'm still in contact with um, and was on ASG and like kind of led me to orientation as well so I, in, in that way that's what I mean by like creating relationships of, of trust in like a very like privileged way like that's how an orientation leader can impact like the trajectory of, of an individual student at Santa Clara. And I recognize that because I was that student at one point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember my orientation leader saying that they had had to practice for that dance for like two straight weeks, like four hours a day. Oh. Yeah, it sucked. What, what year are you? Are you a junior? I'm, I'm a sophomore, actually. So okay. Yeah. Yeah, but I still, I think everyone still remembers their orientation experience just because yeah. even though it's such a short time, it makes such an impact on yeah. who you hang out <laughs> with in the first couple weeks. I, I learned that dance. Because I, that was, if you're a sophomore, that was the year that I was yeah. the senior for. Okay. So, yeah, oh, that was so hard to do. Because <laughs> I mean, like, there, there were like the general dance parts and then there were uh-huh. the parts with like the guys, just the guys and then just the girls. Uh-huh. Um, no, that was like a total of like 15 minutes. And since then, the director out there, Cam Barrio, and uh-huh. Center for Student Involvement was like, no, like we're cutting this down. Like it's an eight minute dance tops. Okay. <laughs> you can do just as good with that amount of time. So okay. <laughs> it's, it's been cut down since then. How did you decide that you wanted to run for student body president? And um, how, how was that process of coming into that role? Yeah, I mean, that, that was a prospect that, that scared me. And I think I had a, a lot of like mentors and like people I looked up to telling me that I should do it. Um, a couple of alumni are kind of like the, the biggest driving forces behind that. But I think the, the overall message was to whom much is given, much is expected. And what, what was given to me was like a quick start at Santa Clara to getting to know a lot of like key players like around the university. So people in the Office of Student Life, people in like upper administration, and then a lot of faculty members as well, by virtue of the years that I had had on ASG as a first year. And then like working in orientation and a couple of other like activities around campus. And what I recognized was that in order to like be as efficient as possible, um, and when you are efficient, you are also um, like getting a lot of like really solid work done i think those two things go hand in hand efficiency and like productivity you have to know like who to go to um and you you, it's really important for like an individual who is going to be present to have a lot of relationships to connect people in the first place and so i I kind of recognize that as um, a responsibility of mine because that that had been my experience i had had cultivated like a, a large um it's like network of, of people at the university. Um, and that, that was like a driving force behind it. Um, and then additionally, it was, it was something that I just really, really had, had cared about because I'd spent three years in the Senate and I'd seen ASG kind of like change with the ebbs and the flows. We, we start off my first year with really nothing controversial. Um, a lot of it was just passing resolutions, commendations, approving registered student organizations, um, both to like exist and then their funding subsequently after that. Um, but I think in, in November of 2016, the overall like rhetoric and the idealism of the student body started to change a little bit. And there was more of like a push-pull factor from the right, from the left. 
Uh, and I identify myself as someone who can like handle those those pushes and those pulls uh, eloquently and, and with compassion as well. And in, in that way, I, I recognize it as my responsibility to like step into this role. And I won't speculate whether I've done like a good job. I think that's for people around me to decide. But it, it certainly has been interesting. It's been challenging. Um, and it's been uh, really formative for my growth mm-hmm. and a lot of other people's growth as well. Mm-hmm. How much power do you really have as student body president? As much as the person thinks I have who I'm talking to. There's people who, who think that it's meaningless and there's people who think that I have the ability to do a lot more than I can. Mm-hmm. I think where, where the real power comes from is in like having the ear of a lot of like key players around the university. So when I'm in a trustees meeting, I can make an appeal to them to come to Senate and like talk with the senators about what's going on or to be more involved generally in like the student activity of the university. When I'm talking with Father Ring, I can bring up um, topics that students wouldn't have access to. So if, if we're having a, a, a meeting, um, you know, that's or like a, a lunch meeting after um, like a, a planning action council meeting, mm-hmm. I can just bring something up like casually to him. Um, something that's on like senators' minds or individuals on the communications development branch mind. Um, so it's like the, the privilege of having quick access to those individuals. I think that's where the most power comes from because I'm able to get quick answers after bringing little like tidbits mm-hmm. to like those key players. Mm-hmm. Has there been anything that you've been able to, to help with this past year that you've felt like good about and you've felt as like a good success that you've been able to achieve in your role? Yeah, I mean, th- this year, um, be- before the year started, all 28, I believe, of the Jesuit student body presidents signed on to a statement saying that we would do what was within our power to support undocumented students. Um, because when we had we had met at this conference called NJSLC, which is like the Jesuit Student Leader Conference in D.C., and that was right after uh, Jeff Sessions had announced like stricter and harsher um, like penalties for individuals who are undocumented um, or mixed status families. So this year I've, I've worked a lot with the Undocumented Students and Allies Association, uh, particularly Marlene Cerritos Rivas, who's like the leader of, of that group and someone who's actually worked at the Jesuit community desk with me um, since we were first here. So there's, there's good rapport that's been built. Um, but ASG had USAA give one of their undocumented ally presentations in November to the Senate. Um, and then we had them back as a follow-up to our retreat in the winter. Um, and then we, being um, like ASG, uh, helped USAI with funding for their um, like gala fundraiser event that took place four weekends ago. Um, and that's money that came from my discretionary funding. So the president has 4000 discretionary dollars. And so I, I gave a good amount of that to USAA because I, I think that the need is there this year. Um, and I think that we've like cultivated a really good relationship with that group. Um, and we've also like maintained good relationships with the MCC this year. And that's something that was a challenge um, the past year. I think that some individuals on, on ASG had good intentions, but would um, like take projects that the MCC had started or not think thoroughly enough through um, like some of the events that were going on. Um, and so I think that we, um, we being Samantha Perez, my vice president, myself, the executive cabinet in ASG as a whole uh, has cultivated a better relationship with the individuals uh, in the MCC and USAA this year in particular. Mm-hmm. So you're gonna graduate in a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Do you do you have any hopes, plans, dream jobs? 
Yeah, I, I can't believe I'm saying this. I don't think I would recognize myself even a year ago, but I want to go to law school and I want to be like a district attorney or a prosecutor. My path to getting there is going to be spending a year doing the Jesuit volunteer course. I'll be back at Brophy, the high school that I went to, working in the classroom. So I'll be teaching a class or two, whatever they need, um, leading retreats, and then working with um, sixth through eighth graders who are in the Loyola Academy program, which is an offshoot of Brophy for underserved communities in um, the south of Phoenix. Um, so I'll be living in a community of, of six people who are doing the same thing I'm doing this year. Um, and then during that time, I'll also be like studying for the LSAT, taking that test and then applying to, to law schools. And I'm really hoping to land back out here somewhere, whether it's Santa Clara, Stanford, Berkeley, Hastings. Um, but yeah, law school is, is the future mm-hmm. for me. You, you said that yourself a year ago wouldn't have thought that way. So what yeah. changed in the past year that made you want to do that? Man, it was a couple things. A, a class that I took called Philosophy of Law with Professor Brian Buckley in the philosophy department. I think everyone should have to take a class um, with, with Dr. Buckley because he's absolutely incredible. Um, and then conversations that I've had with people like Ed Pinelli who is a trustee. He's been on the trustees for, I believe, 54 years now. He was on the Supreme Court of California for uh, a long tenure of time, almost 20 years, I believe. And he's now a professor emeritus at the law school. Um, Father Paul Goda, who's in the Jesuit community, who is another professor emeritus of the law school. Um, And then the dean of the law school as well. Um, And then there's just been a couple events I've gone to, like ASG's pre-law event, where representatives from different law schools come and speak with students. Um, And then work that I've been doing as well for my ethnic studies capstone has placed me in conversation with the district attorney in in San Jose, whose name is Jose Fuentes. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's like helping me connect with like community contacts in the Washington Mm -hmm. community in in downtown. Um, And he's the the prosecutor and the DA over there. So Mm -hmm. just, I've had a lot of influences, I guess this past year with individuals who are involved in law. And it's something that I feel like very inclined towards, especially with my philosophy background as well. Hmm. Yeah. What about the like district attorney or lawyer role? really like excites you because that doesn't yeah. excite a lot of people when you hear like district attorney you might think of like a slow bureaucratic process yeah. or something like that so why is that certainly so exciting I think a district attorney has the potential to like advocate on behalf of community members who wouldn't otherwise like be able to advocate for themselves so if, if you want to put into Jesuit terms being a voice for the voiceless and like that's that's something that I think people don't consider as much because when you go to law school, you want to recompensate yourself for the $250,000 bleed that you've had over the past three or four years, whatever it may be. Um, but I, I kind of see that as like a responsibility for, again, like to whom much is given, much is expected. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's really important to do, you know, what, what, however many years it may be, five to six years of, of, you know, community prosecuting. And then, you know, just kind of working from there. Like if, if an individual of myself is feel like very strongly called to continue prosecuting, maybe go to like a federal level um, and become um, like a, a prosecutor, like, like a Robert Mueller, like sort of thing. And that's, that's been inspiring for me too, like seeing that court case kind of play out um, in Washington, even though it's not a court case yet, it's still very much an investigation. Um, but I, I think justice is something that's like really, really important to maintain like civil society. I think the rule of law is something that like must be upheld like in, in order to um, like preserve liberty and like any sense of like self-worth that like we have as Americans or as just like global citizens. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, like a good lawyer, um, an ethical lawyer and an honest lawyer um, is an individual who's very much at the forefront of, of preserving that identity that I happen to value very much. Yeah.
Awesome. Well, I'd love to wrap up with a couple shorter questions. Sure, yeah. So first of all, is there any favorite place that you've traveled? Yeah, Cape Town, South Africa. I was there on a Gene Donovan placement this past summer working with prison populations. Um, and that was incredible. It's a beautiful place. If it were in the Northern Hemisphere, it would be one of the most expensive places to live. But it just so happens to be about as far south as you can get. So mm. I think it's relatively undiscovered. But it's, I mean, it's beautiful. And the people are really quite incredible down there mm. as well. Awesome. If you could give any piece of advice to a first-year student coming into Santa Clara, what would you say? Hmm. Be the receiving end of a magnet. Like, don't go looking too hard for things. Like, let those things call you. And then when you when you feel a pull, like, go towards it. Like, don't don't resist it. Um, because I, I got involved in a lot of things. Like, my first year, not all those things stuck. Mm-hmm. And I wish that I had narrowed in on, on particular things sooner. So like feel where you're being drawn, but don't look too hard because those things will find you if you have your heart open. Mm -hmm. And this is a broader question that I like to ask a lot of people, but if you could send a message to every person in the United States, what would you want to say? Mm -hmm. Perceive others charitably. I think that a lot of an individual's intentions are kind of lost in the perception. I think that if you know, especially in this year of 2018 and whatever comes after, if individuals took a second to like critically analyze what another person was saying and to ask, you know, this is what I heard you saying. Is that really what you meant? Like just taking that step right there, I think would solve a lot of conflict that is unnecessary and would seek to preserve the enamel of relationships and of, of trust of individuals who know themselves um, and the people around them and those who are um, strangers and meeting for the first time. Because I strongly believe that everyone is either a friend or a potential friend. Um, and that's kind of like a, a bold claim, but it's true. I mean, like even someone who one would consider his or her enemy, like that person is a potential friend because the future is indeterminate until you get there. So treat everyone as a potential friend. Yeah. And finally, what does an ideal Saturday look like for you? <laughs> mm, right now, I, I like the sun. So could be down on the beach with a baseball and another person who can throw a baseball well. Um not too much wind because it uh, bothers my eyes <laughs> and blows sand into them. Um, but like good friends, mm-hmm. good friends who you know, have been here for two or three years or four years with me. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for doing this interview. Yeah. Gavin, thank you. Really good questions too. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. You can subscribe to Voices of Santa Clara on the iTunes podcast app. You can visit VoicesOfSantaClara.com for interview transcripts, and you can like the Facebook page. Special thanks to Miles Elliott for the music. Thank you for listening, and have a nice day.